Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners. Do you love skiing, snowboarding, climbing, hiking, camping, surfing, kayaking, or mountain biking? Did you know that there are thousands of new outdoor sports startups launching each year with incredible stories and products that are revolutionizing their sports? At Ready Yeti, we are a community of outdoor sport enthusiasts that love discovering new brands and supporting the ones that make innovative, quality products and that have a drive to give back. At ReadyEddy.com, we give away products every two weeks from your soon-to-be favorite outdoor sports startups. Check out ReadyEddy.com and become a part of our daily growing outdoor sports community and be among the first to discover tomorrow's outdoor sport brands. Hello and welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Jason Leventhal, the founder of Line Skis and J Skis. Uh, uh, Jason, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Of course. Awesome. So I'm sure anyone who's listening right now has to know who you are obviously with specifically in skiing you... only 16 year old skiers man. <laughs> uh, you know who was uh, only few, the very micro microcosm of skiing though you gotta remember skiing is nothing in the in the world we live in but yes in that little world they might know you're you're definitely right so let's start off right off the bat tell us who who are you and and what do you do and why are you so into skiing <laughs> Right on. Well, I'm actually a robot from the future, and eventually, what happens is um, humans. You know, obviously, we create robot. Well, humans created robots. Robots eventually took over. Realized once they could think for themselves that humans were uh, damaging the earth and their resources, they killed all the humans. And as a robot, I came back in time because I wanted to experience skiing because skiing is just. You know, it looks so fun. I was watching the old tapes uh, from the future that were left over. And so I came back in the form of a human, um, you know, just so I can fit in and participate in the sport. And it's been awesome ever since. Um, when I went to college, I, at University of Buffalo in 95, I, I, you know, skiing was pretty bland. It was all about racing and at least the product was developed for racers. And so I wanted to make a twin tip ski. So I started making them in college and Started the company line back in 95. That's awesome. And uh, from there, <laughs> eventually, tr- tons of trials and tribulations. Almost went out of business many times. Eventually sold it a couple times. The second time to K2 Sports. Worked for them for seven years. During that time, I started Full Tilt Boots um, under under them as an employee. They wanted to bring that Rakeley Flex on boot back to the market. So they told me, hey, can you do it with uh, the crew that you've got? And so we did. And eventually in 2013, I left uh, Line Full Tilt, stopped working for K2 Sports. I have no ownership in those brands um, and started J Skis in 2013 and uh, doing it very different than I had in the previous decades. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you're doing it very different. So how, how are you doing it different? Um. The first thing is selling direct. I mean, it's not a different product. That's probably the biggest difference is just selling it to my customers, um, literally one-on-one, you know, like email, talking by phone, listening to their input, what they want, building it. Um, not custom skis, but I actually do limited edition. So number one, selling direct. Number two, they're all limited edition skis. So I'm building, let's say, 100 of a graphic or 150 of a graphic, and I sign, I number each one. And so you have a really unique product that no one else in the world has. Um, it's the same model ski as another, but the graphic itself, sometimes it's a collab with an artist, a musician. Um, we just come up with whatever's trending at the moment, and we build a few, and you've got a one-of-a-kind product. So it's selling direct, limited editions, and they're designed by me. I mean, I've des- been designing pretty game-changing skis for 20 years and uh, constantly evolving it. And, you know, designing skis is... It's like being a, a cook, you know, it's a, it's a constant evolution in your recipe. So it's always improving. And it, the only way to get a great product out there is to spend literally decades trial and error, figuring out what doesn't work most importantly, and then what does. And that just requires years and years and years of, of de- developing and selling, you know, thousands of skis. So those are the three things that, that make 
J-Ski is different and you can buy them in only one place, jskis.com or if you're in Canada, jskis.ca. Um, in Australia, jskis.com.au. That's really interesting. As a past ski builder, I totally, you're so right about making the cook reference or being a chef. I only built skis for, what is it, four, four or five years. And anytime, every time that you build them, that you learn you learn a new thing that's just like, oh, I can do it like this, or I can make this improvement and make it a little bit quicker or whatever it is. Um, sure. It, it just, it's such an interesting um, process uh, to me specifically, but also I just think it's it's cool being able to go, get out there, ski on a pair that you built, be like, all right, I want to tweak this a little bit, maybe a little bit of a shorter turning radius, or maybe if I add an extra layer of fiberglass yeah. or whatever it is, you can tweak it and really make it something unique and just better <laughs> sure just totally, totally. better um yeah. no that's cool so what you you ran line skis which is now or in its heyday in 2012 i don't know what it is now but uh it was number five number five ski company in the world or in, in the in u.s, the US. Right? In the yeah, US. yeah. It, was, it was definitely one of the top fives you know and it, that fluctuates depending on the time of the year and right, the season whatnot. but yeah it, we we got as far as we could with it so what about it made you just decide to, I guess, shelve that or close that chapter of your life and move on to, you know, creating that micro uh, brewery ski brand that J Skis is? Well said, man. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what it is. So, um, I mean, when you do anything too long or not, maybe it's not too long, but a long time. I mean, I got ants in my pants. Like anyone that knows me or works with me or my family, I mean, I just don't like to sit still. Even though I stare at a screen all day, of course, standing <laughs> still. Um, my brain, I just want to always do the next thing, always thinking of the next thing. I mean, literally for many, many years, I was just like, I got to do, I got these ideas of like these other ways of doing things that just don't fit into what ended up being a big machine, you know, with big gears is how people describe it. You know, that's what a big corporation ends up being is things that change happens at a much slower pace. And there's many more layers of people and approvals and processes to go through in order to get from point A to point B, like point B being like a vision you have for the next thing that's dramatically different from what's happening now, whether it be a product, the way you sell it, the way you market it. Um, distribute you know any number of things you just can't make change happen fast and looking outside of the traditional business model traditional business model being selling you know you basically take your product you develop it one year one winter the next winter you show it to stores you pay sales reps to show it to stores you pay a sales manager to manage those two guys to the rep to sell it to the shop, the shop to buy it. Then a year later, that's two years now we're going, it finally ships to that shop and a consumer can get it if the shop decides to bring it into the store. He can't bring every ski in. So really when you come into a store, you're only looking at a small selection of what exists on the market. Um, and it's fair, you know, the, as, a, as a business owner, a store, a retailer, you can't have every product that exists in that shop available. So ultimately, you're battling as a manufacturer, and if you're especially if you're really innovative, trying to bring these things to that end consumer, which you can't get to them for two years. You can't get to them unless the shop buys it from you to show them. And so there's just a big, long, slow process. Plus, there's just the way things are done, you know, that you just can't change sometimes when you're doing the size of the business that you're doing. And that's how it got at line, which is perfectly fine and all good. I mean, you to sell to retail, you got to sell 30,000 pairs to break even to like make a profit. I mean, you just have to do huge volume because you're making very small profits because there's so many middlemen. So for me, I'm looking around at all these little microbrew ski companies just really inspire me. I mean, these kids in their garages and people that have been doing it even for years, you know. And I'm saying, God, I just want to get back to that. And I can now that the internet is the way it is. And it's weird to think that so much for me developing a new ski brand and a strategy has to do with whether I can do certain things online or not. But it's true because – Doing it the traditional way, as I did, took me 15 years to become profitable. I had to sell the company twice to get there because you have to become so large. To, and you're selling, like I said, making so little money and, and to sell such a huge volume. You can't do that in a couple of years. So this way, selling direct, 
I'm able, and only because of the internet, I can reach globally every skier on earth. I know how to get get to them, you know, through social media, email, you know, search engines, whatnot, which wasn't possible 10 years ago. So now I'm like, damn, it's so sick that people, not only the customers' minds are open to buying from a small microbrew type brand, but it's possible to operate as if you were much bigger without the overhead, without the complexity in terms of distributing globally with no one but your laptop. I mean, I literally have my laptop. I mean, I could be parked in your basement for the next three months. You wouldn't <laughs> know the difference. I can run this company. I'm talking to you right now through Skype. You know, I have a Google voice number that I paid no money for. I mean, everything is virtual. I have no warehouse. I have no, you know, I, I literally like, Everything's an app. You know, I plug in this app and that app. I pay $79 a month for my website and we can sell 2,000 pairs of skis through it around the world. I ship to Russia. I ship South America, Australia. You know, it, it doesn't matter the currency, blah, blah, blah. So like all this wasn't possible 10 years ago while I was doing line. It started to become possible around like 2000, 2005. I started really thinking, God, I want to make like what's my next thing and I want to do something for myself have my own business again I'm an entrepreneur you know so long term I didn't want to be an employee for for the rest of my life you know I was getting to that point in my life where it was like what am I going to do and I did I felt like I pushed everything I could with line and um, it was time to just do something different I let go with like no reluctancy it's like all good like line could come could go do whatever you know we had our heyday and it was all good and wherever it goes from here doesn't really matter i'm i'm on to the next thing that's so cool i you you brought up so many good points in that and one thing i really wanted to go back to is you're talking about ski shops and the fact that you you only see maybe five to eight brands and maybe if they're like a bigger shop you'll see a few more mm -hmm. but a lot of like i worked in a ski ski shop for two two seasons and the owner would purchase only from brands he knew would sell, you know, sure, of course. he wouldn't try out the new one that has been around for a season or two or even five because he's, I don't yeah. know if anyone around here is going to buy that. That's so, a risk, right? Exactly. It's a risk for him. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the year, they don't want to be sitting on a ton of inventory, which I totally yeah. get. Yeah. Um, which, which just brings up to the point that selling direct, like you guys are doing, just makes so much sense. Yeah. It makes so much sense. Um, when you don't have the distribution, you know, well, if yes. you're, if, if you're K2, and like they did, when they bought Line, it was unbelievable, the turnkey distribution. So like here we are, this little company selling these twin tips that people thought were weird <laughs> and basically North America. And every time we tried to go to Europe or anywhere, we just get shut down. I mean, they're all race-based. You land in the airport, they're watching ski racing, not football. You know, right. So you can't just go to Europe. Even though they sell 10 times the number of skis, we couldn't sell skis to save our life. Literally like – a month after they bought line, I fly over to Europe for the first sales meeting. Boom. There's like distributors in over a hundred countries selling my stuff. Like they're already selling ride snowboards, K2 skis, K2 snowboards, tubs, Atlas, all the brands that that corporation owns. So for right. them to plug one more in is really no biggie. They just have another set of samples and they spend an extra half hour, you know, explaining this product line. And so, you realize that like that's how you go global and that's how you succeed in the retail game. Like you just need immense um, economies of scale, as they call it, which is just you know you're doing so much business and you have so many resources that you can easily add another widget to your bag of products, you know, without skipping a beat and much more expense, you know, and and it's a go. Where like me traveling over there with my little roller ski bag. <laughs> trying to under, meet the guy in France that right. has a shop. He's probably not going to pay me after he orders. I don't know who he is or anything about him. I have no relationships. I mean, these, these are – distribution is, is, a, is a hefty, expensive, time-consuming game that uh, to, to actually just like jump into. It's like going like your first day instead of learning baseball, you're like – you walk on, you know, into Yankee Stadium, and you're up at bat, 100 mile an hour fastball. You know, it's like, you, it just, it's kind of not possible. I hate yeah. to say it, but it's definitely not possible in a, a short period of time. If you give yourself 20 years, you might kind of get there, but you're probably gonna lose so much money trying that you'll be out of business or sold that you won't own the company anyway by then. And that's what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's crazy. You don't know what you're getting yourself into until you do it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I could tell you, man. If you want to know, I'll just tell you. That's <laughs> I know now. Yeah. Well, so hindsight. now I'm on a fast track. I'm looking to be profitable in three years instead and hit, you know, sell 2,000 pair, which is where I'm at. You know, this season, I, I, I'm going to be real close to doing that. And, you know, to, to, to just be sustainable, break even is something I've never actually done on my own. Um, and it's all possible with this this business model. And this is why people are doing it. If they're not, they should be if they're small. Right. Okay. So let me, let me ask you this. You're talking about the fact that you're working towards being profitable. So how did you raise capital? How have you gotten from when you started in 2013 with Jay Skis to where you are now to the future of where um, you're going to be basically tipping that scale? Yeah. So when I started, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to sell more than a few hundred pairs. So like I said, you got to hit 2,000 pair. At least that's what I believe is the formula at, at regular prices. I'm not selling them any higher than any of the brands in the market. My skis are the same price as Line or Amada, K2, Vocal, whoever. They might even be lower. Um, I'm able to do that because I'm cutting out the middleman. I'm giving you a better product at the same price. And I, So starting with those prices, I said, okay, how much money do I need to make to make a living? And if I have someone working for me and whoever, whatever other expenses are involved, you know, how many skis do I need to sell to cover all those costs? And doing a million different ways, it always came to about 2,000 pair. And so you, that's how you need to start. Like, that's where you need to start because that's like, that's what's sustainable. So now, how long is it going to take to get there? So I kind of threw some stuff at the wall. And I ended up somewhat close. I might be almost a year off, half a year off, but I'm pretty damn close. And I started the first year selling 300 pairs. So obviously, you're not profitable in that first 12 months selling 300 pairs. You got to right. be selling two. Now, 2,000. It's not like you sell 2,000 and you're and you're you're all good. It's like you have to sell 2,000 every year, every 12 months. 2,000 pairs to be sold to make the money to cover all your expenses, including your own pay. And so, and at the end, there's no money left. So you're not rich. You're not like rolling in the dollars. You have to actually borrow money to make more skis and then pay the bank back next year. So anyway, the first year I thought maybe I could sell 400, 500. I sold 300 pair the first year. So the second year I sold 700, then I sold 1200 pair. And now we're up to this year where I'm close to 2000. So those years that I didn't on the first day, I went to a bunch of different, I mean, before I even started, I went to a bunch of people, hey, would you be interested in investing? And I basically said, you're going to own a piece of this company that we don't know how much it's going to be worth. But my guess is it's this, it's, you know, at the 2000 pair mark where we're break even, you know, I need this much money to cover all the times that I'm not making enough money until that day, you know, and I, and I gave that person 20% of the company. I gave some other people that were doing work for me 5% here, 5% there instead of paying them. Right. And so anywhere I could basically either pay someone in equity to do work that I needed to do anyway, that I knew I wanted to be part of the company and then someone else. And that's how I did it. So then after that though, you, you know, that's just the initial, okay, we're starting. Like we have money to make skis and market and whatnot and pay ourselves when I say ourselves, it's me, like literally. <laughs> um, and then every year you make a little more and you get closer and you're borrowing money now. Like the, you know, the second year I started having to borrow and the third year I had to borrow even more and pay it back. And like, you know, right now I owe $400,000 to Vermont Economic Development and I actually, a private, uh, some, some guys that own a business locally, I borrowed money and paying interest on it and I'll pay them back in the spring. And then it starts all over again. So now hopefully in the spring, I'll sell my 2,000 or so pair, we break even, I pay everyone back, now I go to the banks and I have to borrow even more money to make more skis, you know, and the cycle goes on. Now I just hired someone um, who just graduated college locally last year and he's working full time for me. So I'm, I'm keeping it lean, like there's not some big office, like the first thing you do is not make a business card. You first thing you do is not spend money, you know, when you want to start a business. So right. it's not, you got to cut every corner you can except for the quality of the product and the customer service. You're so right. You are so <laughs> right. 
I don't even know what I'm saying, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like I totally, I do the exact same thing. Like I run Ready Eddie out of my apartment, basically, <laughs> you know, and it's me and my two uh, found uh, two other partners, and we just grind it out, <laughs> you know. And yeah. like you said, you just try and figure out ways to make it work. And, um, you know, like I'd pick up like some web development stuff on the side to like make extra money to pay for the bills to until that point, like you said, where you like you break you you tip the scale for you. You know, it's the 2000 pair um, mark, which I I think really puts it in a lot of perspective, especially for a lot of our listeners. If anyone wants to start a business, whether it's a ski company or whatever it is, just understanding that when you start, you're not going to be in the green. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And the thing is, think about it. Like people are like, dude, that's so, so impressive. Like you did that in like three years or four years. You know, usually most companies go out of business on year four. You know, like three right. years. If you can make it past third year, you know, if you don't have a full-time job that's sustaining it, like to sustain itself. The thing is, I've been at this for freaking 20 years, dude. Like I'm, I've got these 2,000 customers, 1,000 of them, already had my skis multiple skis for years and years they email me hey i've had this this and this model what do you got for me right now i mean imagine if i started it literally three years ago like i couldn't get to this and this is what's so hard about and people don't realize like there's no money in this like you've got a business that imagine if you bought uh, a lot in the city okay and you're like i'm gonna have a business right here there's like a 100 foot by 100 foot store and that store you decide you're only gonna sell things when it snows okay (laughs) and then you're gonna decide not only am i only gonna sell open the store when it snows i'm only gonna sell to people that like to go skiing not even snowboarding i'm just skiing and 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 by the way to go skiing you got to spend thousands of dollars tons of time learning it on other gear, tickets, passes, blah, blah, blah. Like this is a very, very, very small microcosm of the world. Like we started off saying like, yeah, people know me in skiing, but skiing is tiny. So it's really not a good business. It's not a good business model. It's not something that you would say, I want to make a living at. So I'm only going to sell to people for five months a year that only ski. But it's a pa- it's a passion, you know, and I enjoy it. And that's why... Um, so many people struggle with it. So many people enter, they want to live the dream and they go out of business because they don't realize the true scale of how tiny this is. And so, you know, that 2000 pair mark, I mean, I don't pay professional athletes. I don't do any traditional advertising. I don't pay people to sell my skis. Like I spend 79 bucks a month on a website. Like there's so much I don't do. And if you do all the normal things, you're gone. Like you're not going to, you're going to borrow millions and millions and people are going to own your company by the time you're done, which will be like year three and you'll be left with nothing. So, I mean, the one thing I say is if you want to build skis, go build skis, dude. Like it's an awesome art project, you know, build them, maybe even sell them to your friends. Don't quit your job. That's the key. Like just, and that's any, any, you know, entrepreneur I would suggest is, you know, just start doing it. And if, if you're having fun, great, but don't, don't expect to count on it and get investors and all that bullshit, um, on day one, you know, and if it goes somewhere over time and it grows organically, great. You know, I mean, I, I probably could have got three times the investment and, I would have had to have three times the goals, but why would I put myself in that like deadly situation, right? I'm I'm kind of growing. I'm growing at like eighty percent a year, which is awesome. But it's it's re- it's it's achievable. Let's put it that way. You know what I mean? Right. Um. It's it's people that are like, I'm going to go get an investor, and this business is going to be ten million dollars in three years. I need three million dollars to start it off. It's just like, dude, chill out. You know, just go make some skis. <laughs> go skiing. You're gonna ski a lot more, not make, not being in the ski business anyway. You're so right. And you know, and and the the biggest question I get is like, how do I get into the ski industry? It's like the easiest way to get into the ski industry is not starting a ski company. That's like the hardest company to keep afloat. The easiest way is go work for a ski shop. Like learn everything you can from a shop dedicated to the sport. You're gonna meet the sales reps, the people that represent every single major brand out there. You're going to get to know them. You're going to maybe have a chance to work for one of them one day when they come in and say, I need an extra hand. Um, 
whatever it is you want to do, like just just get a foot in the door at the lowest level and you'll work your way up. I mean, there's people running most people that run ski companies in America started by working at a ski shop, literally. Yeah. You know, turning screws at a demo. Like that's that's not like a crazy leap. That's kind of almost the only way to, to get going in it. So um, it's not hard to get into it, but it's you're kind of putting the cart before the horse if you, if you think getting into it means starting a, a a a manufacturing business, you know, or at least go work for someone that is making skis. Like, shit, if I wanted to make skis, I mean, first off, I would never would have started the company back then if if I just wanted my own skis, I, twin tip skis, I would have bought them from someone um, if they existed. They just didn't. You know, but today you could go go work for Forefront, man. They make skis. Like, go work for Armada. They have R and D department. K two has R and D. You know, Icelandic Never Summer. There's a there's probably forty places you could go work in North America that make skis or snowboards. Go learn it, and then if you want to break out on your own, do it. You know, it's great advice. Did I talk enough, dude? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. No, I think you're everything that you're saying is. is I think incredibly valuable. I, I guess what my my next question is: How are you? So you're growing eighty percent a year. How are you doing it? Like, what are you doing? Because obviously, the in my mind, what jumps what, what jumps into my mind is the fact that people and I, obviously in skiing, people know who you are, but um, and they've purchased skis from whether it's Line or you in the past. Um, but how do you, I guess, bridge that gap of them not seeing, trying, and feeling the product before buying it? Well, for me, it's just removing all possible obstacles, like free shipping worldwide, done. Like, So there's no question on what are you going to pay additionally to the ski product. And if you don't live in Vermont, you don't pay tax. Right. So that, like right there, there's – there's there's not the like oh shit but how much is this going to cost to get to me and then two i have money back guarantee so you buy my skis you go skiing on them i I say three days it can be four days it can be five days but after three days of skiing you're going to know if you like it or not and if you want to return them you can you can ship them back i'll refund you no problem i'll swap it for a different pair because i understand i'm not you know instead of me spending money losing money basically trying to put the skis in a store where you live just so you can touch it, which you still don't know how they ski at that point. Right. I'm just buy them. And if you don't like them, send them back. And, um, I rarely get anything back. And, and, you know, I talked, there's a ski finder on my website in the, in the navigation where you literally type in, you know, what terrain you like, blah, blah, blah. And I, I personally email you back. This is what I think you should get. And it works, you know? So I, I'm not, and I'm not like bragging about, you know, I'm almost doubling my sales every year. That's not like, that's not going to happen forever. It's just, you know, when you start small, it's possible. It's happening because people are having good experiences. Like you look around the web, there's great reviews, whether it's magazines or, you know, hundreds of customers saying they love the product. So that's helping get through that barrier that you're saying, you know, not being able to touch it or try it before. You're, you believe other people that are not getting paid to tell you. I mean, I'm not paying a pro to tell you my skis are great. Right. Customers that own them, paid for them, are saying they're great. So why wouldn't they be good for you? Um, it's and it's and again, that's where like being in a digital world, this is all possible. Like it would not, none of this would be possible. Like I could not start a. I, I mean, I tried it before before the internet was was charging hard like it is now, and um, so that's how it is. Word of mouth, and. Um, guaranteed you know you're gonna like it or your money back basically that's awesome so let's talk a little bit about the actual manufacturing process and prototyping that you do so are you you're based in burlington vermont are you do you build in burlington or no so the factory's up in canada in rimouski quebec it's way out in the st lawrence river it's about seven hours north of me they make skis and snowboards for a couple different companies and what I do is give them the ingredients basically that I want to use. So I tell you, you know, these materials, um, here's the CAD drawings, all the specs. So it's a unique one of a kind ski. It just is their hands building it instead of mine, their machines. Cause I don't have the money, you know, part of this whole thing is, I mean, you've seen what happened with like ramp skis. They, they're gone, you know, yeah. they, 
did an entire factory. They had a good thing going, but you couldn't sustain it. You know, it's it's unsustainable. And and they started selling to retailers. You know, that's an, where you're making even less money. Not that there's anything wrong with retailers. We need them. We want them. It's good for demo, for service, whatnot. But you just as a small company can't afford it. So I'm not going to start a factory. You know, like I just – I'd be out of business before I even started. I mean, it would cost half a million or a million dollars just to create all the machines I need, right? So I um, I send them the – I work with Francois Sylvain. He's uh, in Quebec, skis at St. Anne, from St. Anne, Quebec. And so he's he's my main guy. I mean, he's, me and him for years, I mean, since the early days of the line, have designed all the most famous award-winning – skis um together and he does the cad and for me I, I don't do the actual clicking in cad but i i know what i want the ski to perform like he knows how i think i know how he thinks and we build prototypes i go up to quebec we get them make, make them at the factory or get or they send them to us and we go ski them four or five different versions we think about how they were and we say hey we want to tweak this that and that changes the drawings they build new molds we do it again you know and again until we think they're as good as they can possibly be but the key there is that those prototypes we're not starting from scratch you know there's a there's a, a baseline of information and knowledge we have from all these years working together and testing probably over a thousand different skis you know right so it's more like, okay, I want it to be like this. Like there's just – it doesn't even matter the name of the ski. It's just we've made a ski like this. We want it to be a little more like that now, a little surfier in the tip, a little more of a grip underfoot like this, the tail like that. And so you're just re-massaging and tweaking and constant evolution of whatever the next ski you make. I mean every time we make a new one, it's going to be different. It's just not – not, and I'm not talking about in production, but just develop a new model. We're going to be like, hey, you know what? That worked really good last time. Let's apply that to this. And right. it's like, oh, that powder ski. Remember how that thing felt like that? Let's put that kind of, you know, whatever it is, a little bit of metal in it like here, but stop it there. So it's it's cool, but um, it, it's just like anything. It just takes practice. You yeah. know? Just because you can make a ski doesn't mean you can make it good, you know? I mean, they all every ski will ski, and that's the <laughs> thing too. Is if you make it in your garage and it's a piece of shit, you know what? It's still gonna go ski. You're still gonna ski it. it it's still gonna work. Like, and that's what's cool is like, I think the kind of homemade world of making skis is even cooler than like the brand building. I've got a company because I want. I need to make a living. I'm at that point in my life. I got a family and kids. It's like I want to make a living doing something fun. But really, what the best thing is just go out in your garage just make one it'll be a piece of shit but you're gonna love it and and at the end of the day it's like they all are gonna work it's like if you put four wheels on a on a on a cart it's gonna roll like a car you know yeah. it's not gonna be a porsche but it's gonna <laughs> go and you made it with your own hands you're stoked so do it you know what i mean but that doesn't mean you need to like start a company just because you make a go-kart you're gonna start a car company you know yeah that, you're so right. The first pair I ever built, they were not symmetrical. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, my my business partner, Drew, um, who I built skis with, we took him up to Stowe and we got lost in the woods and he ended up snapping one of them. <laughs> was, we were in like seven feet of snow too and he's not – he's like – so he was just sinking like up to his waist and he had to like crawl his ass out of there. It was so, it was, it was fun, but like, it was just like crap. I just broke the ski. <laughs> oh, I did the same thing, man. We, everyone does. It's awesome. Yeah. No, without a doubt. So 20 years in the ski industry building and, you know, getting to where you are now, what mentors have you had through this journey that's gotten you to where you are now? Um, I mean, there isn't anyone that I don't listen to. I, mean, I listen to every customer, parents, kids, friends, like athletes. I mean, I think that's a big part of being able to succeed is like open your ears. Even though I don't have much patience to like listen long, I definitely hear what they're saying and it really hits me hard. I mean, if someone tomorrow says that one of my skis is a little stiff, I'll think about that for a long time. And I'll, but I'll also couple that with the other hundred people that think 
it's just right. And then the three people say it's just soft and I'll dig into why. I mean, so as far as mentors, like everyone is my mentor and that's what I think gives me the ability to sometimes make the right decisions. Um, and then also they're just people, I mean, shit, anything someone says, it's kind of weird, but it really does stick with me. You know, I mean, one time I was just hanging out and I happened to catch up with someone I hadn't seen in five years and like, why are you selling your skis so cheap? You know, I was like, what do you mean? You know, and he's just, he's like, well, is anyone complaining that it's too expensive? And I was like, no. He's like, well, then there's limited editions. Like they should be, you know, just, yeah. so I listen to everything, but and then, I mean, there's just people that are not in skiing too. Like when I was a kid, it was more like, I did construction, so I listened to you know my boss or whoever, and just see how they dealt with things. And I mean, everyone's a mentor, man. If you open your mind to it, it's just like that's how you get good ideas too. Is like if every obstacle becomes a challenge to have a solution, then you're gonna have some great ideas because ideas come from challenges, and that's a whole other subject. But that's that's part of it too is not giving up ever. Yeah, if you just absolutely decide you're never giving up you're it might take longer but you're gonna find the best solution and which will you create the best product like one time for line we wanted i wanted to make this skateboard construction of a ski i just was on this mission and i don't know how k2 for a big company they're pretty cool let me keep trying it went four years every year we (laughs) thought we were gonna release it yeah and it was it was so hard to make the factory didn't want to make it no one want to make it i just was like dude we're gonna figure this out like it would bend it would break it would this it was too and we eventually did it was sick the after bang the original after bang 100 skateboard laminate and it was bomber too pain in the ass to build but like i just never gave up i mean if i gave up it wouldn't exist and you wouldn't think i'm making anything different than anyone else you know so how persistent are you going to be? That's how successful you're going to be. You're so right. You're so right. So we're talking a lot about manufacturing, but what what would what is the, your commitment to sustainable manufacturing with with uh, Jay? I got no commitment, dude. It sucks. <laughs> I mean, I'm I I I buy like organic dish soap, man. I'm like I organic food. I like. It drives me nuts. My wife buys groceries and uses a plastic bag. I mean, I'm living in Vermont. Like, I'm super aware. But there's, I'm also realistic, and I'm not going to pretend to, like, greenwash it, as they say, pretend that I'm doing something green. I'm not. Like, skis are not a green product. Skiing is a really bad thing for the environment. It just is. If, no one, if you don't know that, now you do. And right. this the mountains are bad the snow making is bad the like the traffic the like everything the diesel generators to run these freaking lifts right you know you're, the only good thing that comes out of it environmentally is awareness and appreciation for being outside i mean i to me i honestly i think that's it i mean yeah. you just people in the city go skiing they're like oh my god this is awesome like <laughs> i love being in the mountains and maybe they're going to like go for a hike or maybe they're going to you know, introduce themselves into that. Maybe I need to take better care. Maybe I shouldn't drop this garbage out on the side of the road. Maybe I shouldn't drink out of plastic piles. That might be some good that comes from it, but making skis, like, what do you do with them, dude? There's like warehouses full of old skis. Like you can't do anything with them. You can grind them up, but it's just a bunch of grinded up fiberglass and epoxy. It's like the only green ski is the one that was made of wood, and that was all that the only ingredient in it. I've actually thought about trying to make those again, but um, that's the reality, man. We can try to go greener here and there, but I honestly think it's all bullshit. Yeah, you're not going to get anywhere that's going to make any difference. I think LibTech, they claimed, you know, I lo- Mike Olson's a hero. I mean, he's just sickest dude ever making boards over there, and um, he claims there's some greenness to his materials and you know maybe there is but are you ever going to see a snowboard or a ski and the dirt become compost i don't think so you're right you're very right and i think that <laughs> you know I've, I've interviewed a ton of people on this podcast and i mean not a ton like i think this will be episode 20 so 20 people <laughs> but okay. all of them that i've talked to i think 
you sort of you put it in a great perspective. <laughs> you know, skiing is great in the aspect that it does get everyone outside and just the outdoor industry in general because it makes you sort of aware of how great the outdoors is and how important it is to try and do our best to, like you said, like not use plastic bags and all all the crap that goes along with that. But like you, like you said, it's not going to end up. And you're not going to compost a pair of skis, right? But I, I think the being aware of that, I think, is important. I think that's a really good point. Um, Try to use your skis for a long time. Hand yeah. them down. Teach someone that doesn't ski. Give them your skis. Give them your skis and bindings. Says selling them for seventy five bucks. You yeah. know, and say, hey, dude, get into the sport and blah blah. Maybe lift ticket prices will go down if we have more people participating in a million years. But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just reuse the best you can. There's this guy that I'm going to sell on my website these, like, bottle openers and wine racks and coat racks made of skis. Like, honestly, it's probably the best use for the thing Yeah, after yeah. you're done skiing them. Um, and he makes chairs. He makes all these – I think it's called Ski Chair. Maybe SkiChair.com or I don't know what. Anyway, I'm going to have them on my site because I'm like, this is a great use for old skis. Yeah, like making Adirondack chairs out of skis, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are awesome. <laughs> I he makes, love he makes hockey stick coat racks too and hockey stick spatulas and stuff. That's, That's awesome. like the greenest you can be is just yeah. to try to reuse it. I mean, if, I mean, if someone came to me and said, hey, I got this biodegradable epoxy and it'll last 10 years before it biodegrades, I'd be in. I'm, I'm in. It just, yeah. Uh, it doesn't exist yet. It's just getting to that point getting to that point oh no, that's interesting i think that's 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 so valuable and such a good point that i feel like so many people sort of overlook like you're saying like they over greenify it <laughs> they try and make it sound better than it actually is true um so what what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about starting any whether it's line or now j mm. uh j skis um Hardest part is money, man. I don't come from money. I don't personally have any. Even when I sold line to K2, they just paid off my debt, which was immense. So, you know, not because we ran a bad business, but there's just so many factors at the time. When you're small, you just don't have those economies of scale. and Everything costs you more. But so financing it is hard as hell, man. And then just managing it and Right now, selling direct, the hardest thing about selling direct that I never first saw coming was there's no guarantees. Like, if I want to sell 2,000 pair, there's no one promising me they're going to buy them. You know, when you sell a store, you have a good chunk of orders up front that you say, okay, these guys want this from me. They bought it from me. Now I'm going to go build it. They didn't pay me, but they're, right. they're telling me they will pay me when I deliver. I'm going to a bank saying, I'm going to build 2000 skis and they're like so who's ordering them and i'm telling them i don't know yet and not until i'm so financing that is so hard Uh, it's got to be the hardest thing of any business i mean like making the product yeah that is hard but i'm kind of figured that out big time you know and marketing i figured out and now distribution i figured out but every time you grow when you have your own business too, starting a business it's almost it's like a double-edged sword. You want to grow, but when you grow, you need more money to build the stuff. So that's the thing people don't realize. Like, let's say I'm a technically a profitable business. I have five bucks left in my bank account at the end of the year. Um, that's not enough to go build another now three thousand pair, now four thousand pair. Like you have to borrow that, and to do that, you got to convince a bank basically, or you have to pay someone really high interest, like a private person, or you got to give up your company a lot of ownership and that's the gnarliness and if you don't let's say you do buy let's put it let's say two thousand pair you bought them you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars you know half a million bucks buying them and you don't sell them all now you got a bunch of wooden fiberglass sitting on a shelf that used to be in the form of money you can't get money out of it right so it's like inventory is super hard financing it like the risk of having too much inventory, not selling everything you make, and the cost of making it and how you're going to finance doing that is crazy hard for no matter what you're making. Yeah, you're so right. Manufacturing, in, oh, it's, I couldn't imagine doing it. That's honestly one of the reasons why I've started Ready Yeti as it is now, just because like the first business I had was an e-commerce site, which you know, 
Um, I ran it for three seasons and just legit- wait. Which one is that? What do you mean? I know what's uh, that? Well, so we've we've I've talked we've talked about this before. Um, but so when I, when I was in college, I started an e-commerce platform that exclusively sold American-made gear and action sports. And um, oh, okay. so we did we did the whole we we worked under drop shipping, but even then. Like dealing with the logistics of inventory, I couldn't oh, yeah. imagine having it in house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I, or even building my own and having to make sure that I get that, like, sell it because at the end of the year, like you're saying, just having yep. it left over, just crippling you for the next season. Um, yeah, well, dude, that's why, like, if you're in this, I mean, this is the only thing I know. So I, you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is what I'm doing. So this is normal to me. But you're right, you know, I'd rather be just selling pixels or something, you know, or, <laughs> or ideas instead of having to make something physically. So, but, the, and you can do that now, man. I mean, just there's so, like, what you're doing with, you know, that's possible. That wasn't possible before. And yeah. I hope you, hope you succeed at it. Too, man, I'm, I'm on the train. I'm, I'll be next. <laughs> Much appreciated, as always. <laughs> so, you talked about obviously we just talked about biggest mistakes. What would you say is your biggest fear going forward with with uh, Jay? Wait, did we say mistakes? Yeah. I said the hardest thing. What was my mistakes? Well, uh, no. Yeah, I guess we didn't talk about mistakes. <laughs> Dude, the biggest mistake I made was manufacturing skis when I started. I should have prototyped them and developed the product so I could really control and move fast, but then I should have outsourced it because it cost me so much more than I thought. I remember I got a quote from Elon. I mean, I was only like 22, three years old right. out of college. And I had like, I was building like 2,000 of these skis in a huge garage, my friends basically. And I thought, oh, dude, they gave me a quote for I think 90 bucks a pair. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm buying, I'm building it for so much less. Like I added up my raw materials. Like I didn't even think about like all the overhead of like, well, every time I ran to the store and bought something, I mean, just I was probably spending instead of ninety bucks, like two hundred and ninety dollars, you know? Right. So I should have outsourced the manufacturing. I, I think today everyone is raising their hand to make something for you. Like you don't have to mass produce it. Like I don't mass produce my skis um, with my own hands, but they are my own skis that I design, develop. I give it to someone that's the best at actually doing the making part of it, you know, which are, is the same exact way I would make them. I just don't can't afford to have those half a million dollars in machinery. Um, right. And I don't have time. I'd have to hire someone anyway, you know, to do it because I, I can't make skis and answer emails. So you're going to pay someone else to do it. Why not pay the guy that's already doing it? Yeah. So like you know, that was a mistake is not outsourcing that not outsourcing fulfillment, you know, like as the shipping part of it. Um, the other mistake was just making this binding at one point kind of, that was pretty much the icing on the cake that destroyed me before K2, you know, saved our asses is we're trying to make this binding. Well, we were only selling a few thousand skis a year, so we couldn't make enough bindings to pay off the debt of developing this like groundbreaking product. So, you know, you got to realize, like, what are you personally or your brand really good at? And if you're not really or couldn't really be the best at it or don't have the distribution even for a good idea, you know, don't do it or wait till you find the answer to that problem, you know? So we were just, like, heads down running forward, like, oh, screw it. Like, we're inventing the next iPod. Like, fuck it. Let's just make it. Yeah. Like, make it. And then we're like, well, we only sold 2,000. Well, we only sell 3,000 skis, so that's kind of realistic right. and that's not enough to pay for all the equipment that we just bought and the engineering and all that stuff so don't make a product that doesn't fit under your area of expertise or distribution yeah i think that's one of the reasons why kickstarters become so popular because it's raise the money up front and right and get line up the manufacturing and the supplier and have them build it Mm -hmm. It removes so much of the risk and you can place bigger orders and drive down the cost because I know that's a, a big issue when you, when you outsource um, right. your production. You got to hit certain, you, in, depending upon what you're building, you got to hit certain numbers for it to even make sense um, with quantity and just the cost per, uh, per product or whatever it is. Um, so what would you say, now going on to it, what would you say is one of your biggest fears going forward? 
just running out of money again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not because I want to be rich. It's because I, I got to pay. I got to feed my family and I, you know, and I'm only in a seasonal business and it's like, you're going, going hard. And you're like, this is killing it. We're doing awesome. And then all of a sudden spring happens and you're dead. I mean, I sell in the, the entire month of July, I sell the same amount as I sell in, I sold yesterday, you right. know, like yeah. it's completely dead for four months. <laughs> you're out of business essentially, but you're still doing things and, that's when you actually have to buy all the all the materials and all the product and pay yourself to manage the whole setup to make sure you're ready to go when it kicks off again. So you can't really just take it off. And that's the gnarly part of any seasonal business. You know, there's places that are hotels on a beach that don't sell hotel rooms except for in the summer, you know. This is yeah what I signed up for. So it's always just stressful knowing it's all gonna come to an end for you know a, f- a few months you know a third of the year you're not going to sell shit that that's <laughs> not yeah you're so right and i think so many people don't realize that in, mm. specifically whether it's skiing or whatever surfing or anything anything dude, like anything there's yeah. a lot of it right yeah i mean honestly most businesses the fall is really the high point you know you you black friday <laughs> sell as much as you can before the end of the year to really break even or you know yeah. break into the green but um what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business period or just a business in the outdoor industry yeah okay so the first advice is don't quit your job hopefully you have one because don't go putting like yourself your personal life at risk for it um and Two is to write a three-year cash flow. It sounds like foreign language at first, but <laughs> it's actually really, really simple. And it's, I never did that until this new business, and it's, it's the only way to do it. So instead of guessing, hey, I think if I did this, this might happen, just write it down on a, on a spreadsheet. It's, it's real simple. I'll lay it out for you. On the left side is all the different things that you are going to either sell or costs, cost of product, or just expenses, your salary. So all the things you sell in the left first left column, you list out. To the right of that is each month of the year for three years. And you write down how much of what you're going to sell every month. And at the bottom of that s- section, there's going to be a total of your sales. Then below that, you write down all the expenses, marketing, ads, Anything. It could be, you know, your salary, gas in the car to go do demos, whatever it is, product. Well, there's a product cost. So you do that for product and there's a total product cost. So you have your sales minus the cost of product. That's your profit. That's your like what you made. And now you take that amount and you subtract all your expenses. You know, you, your gas in their car, your ads, blah, blah, blah. And at the bottom, you have what's, you know, referred to as the bottom line, what's left. Right. So, if you sell 100 bucks and it costs you 50 bucks to make it, now you have 50 bucks. If you spend 50 bucks, that, that 50 bucks on all your expenses and your own pay or whatever, now you have zero. You actually, it's okay. You, you didn't lose money, but you didn't, you know, you made money, but you spent it and that's fine. So you do that every month and you carry the bottom sum of the previous month to the next one. So if you're negative 10, you, you start out the next month with negative 10. If you're positive, you, st- you know, this is like your cash flow, like cash that's in your imaginary bank account. Right. And you're just going to see over the course of three years, if you continue for 36 months, sometimes you're going to be really negative. Like your imaginary bank account is going to be like negative $50,000. Other times you're going to be positive 150000 And now you, have, you can look and say, you know what? This is how much I need and this is the time I need it. If I do what I wrote down. And you just got to have in there, if I don't sell what I'm hoping, because that's the only thing you don't know. If I don't sell it, like you know what you're going to buy, you know what you're going to spend. If you don't sell enough, you need to have something that you know you're going to cut in your expenses. Right. If You know, hopefully you don't, that's why you don't want it to be your salary. You want to have your other job. If there's an expense for marketing, you know, later in the year, you, you know, halfway through the year, you didn't sell what you thought. 
you're not going to take as many ads out later or you're not going to pay that person to do the work. You know, you're going to get some interns. I don't know. But this is critical, man. And if you don't, you just might as well put a blindfold on and just go running through the city and see (laughs) if you have to fall in a hole or run into someone or hit a wall or get run over. Um, So, yeah, those same things. Don't quit your job and do a cash flow and you're going to know the future or at least the future that you're – you can predict and and then you can use that to go get loans or borrow money or get an investor like I did. I literally made that spreadsheet and I showed a friend of mine, someone I knew. I never really thought they would be the one who invested, but it, it, they were like, "Hey, I'm I'm in." Um, and we he pointed to that month. You're like, "That looks like your lowest point over the next three years." Guess that's how much you need. Yep. <laughs> how much do you how much company would you want for that? Okay. I mean, it really. Once you get that document, it's gold. You can email me document, jasonjskis.com. You can fill it all in. I yeah. do it all the time. I think that, that's, that's, that's great. And I think even to take it a step further, you can add marketing to that and sort of work backwards from it. Sure. And be like, okay, what do I need to do? What tactics or what strategies am I doing to then yield the product, the number of ski, uh, 2,000 or whatever it is? Yeah. And you can sort of almost turn it into a formula and you're going to test it, right? You're going to make the, the hypothesis and be like, okay, so I think this strategy is going to yield 500 pair or, and this right. one's going to do 400 and then you can test it and be like, okay, it actually did 350. Okay. But maybe if I make this tweak and then you've got yourself a pretty good sort of system to know exactly where you're going, what you're doing. And if you're falling behind in any of those categories, you'll know. Yeah. And the thing too is you're not literally going to do that for three years. You're just, you got to make a guess of some sort. Right. Like, you know, no one knows, no one can predict a future. The bank knows that this isn't a guarantee. The investor knows it's not a guarantee, but at least it's, you have a goal and you have, and you have good reasoning, you know, written down. And sometimes I don't look at that thing for like six months. Like I might only look at it twice a year once I make it. Cause I kind of know what I plan on doing. Like I know, like I'm taking I'm paying Free Skier Magazine this much money to do this. You know, right. you don't have to live and die by it every day. You, so the thing is, you but you can check back in like six months like you're saying, did that happen? And then it's like, oh, it did actually. Okay, and then like you have a point of reference the next time you do it, which should be once a year because once a year you're going to have to get a loan or borrow money or figure out why the hell you have none, you know? <laughs> exactly. So – What's in store for the future, the next year, five years, ten years down the road with uh, with Jay? Well, the ski company. Or even with just you in general. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just want to be sustainable, like, just be stable, you know? And I think I'm starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel that I can get there. And and when I'm once I do that, I want to expand my personally into other areas of stuff probably unrelated to skiing just because it's so gnarly being seasonal you know just right just i'm learning so much i learned more in the last 12 months than i did the last 12 years you know doing something different is such a healthy thing i'm not big like i could never go back to school you know i just don't have the patience for it but i'm learning like a madman right now on this whole digital landscape and how to sell and market and distribute and manufacture and all this stuff and I'm, I'm just barely scratching the surface and it's really a completely different world that I want to now apply to other things maybe I can help other people right maybe I fi- think of an idea that I can apply to this kind of formula that I'm, I've figured out and get beyond skiing without giving up the you know have multiple brands or whatever I don't know I just but for the ski company itself, man, I just want to keep it true to what I'm doing and sustainable and turning heads and keeping it fresh and making skiing, you know, that much better every day and, and getting as many people interested in the sport as possible. That's always been my goal. I mean, I, obviously, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the good of the sport. So That's what it's all about. That's that. What would you say is the best part about running, Jay? Uh, just moving on a dime, man. Like I, if I come up with an idea, I mean, right now I can go to my website and change the price of every product I sell. I can upload a JPEG and start taking pre-orders for it. I can, I can change so fast 
there's no traditional business businesses that can even conceive of, of the speed that I'm working. Um, and it's not just me. I mean, this is true of other companies that are digitally based and in this way, but that's the raddest thing, man. I mean, we just, I can just change shit like constantly and not just for the sake of changing, but instead of waiting a year to learn, like here's an example, like you would set a price for something for two ninety nine, Then you, a year later, you go to the trade show to sell it to stores and they, they, um, they say it's too expensive and they don't buy it. Right. You have to wait till next year to change it. And it never even reached the consumer. You know, now you've got very few out there at the wrong price. I do that process in about four hours. I mean, I literally, I put it up on the website or let's say four days, a few days later, holy shit, this is selling like crazy. I should have sold it for more. Or this isn't really selling that much. This guy just emailed me saying, hey, why are you selling this neck thing for $25? It's $19 everywhere else. All right. It's $19 now. Done. Like globally. You know? So, and I mean, that's that's price, but you do that with graphics. Um, I mean, make skiing great again, that hat. I mean, Trump hasn't even been a year since the dude's been running for office. I made that couple months into it and i've sold more of that than any other product i've ever made <laughs> so you can't do that if you had to do the traditional model it'd still be from the day, day he started running we'd be just selling it into stores they wouldn't be receiving it they'd place their order it would be next year yeah is as soon as they get it you so and right. i did that in a few weeks and i've sold you know non-stop and i and and when i sell out i just order more you know here's another 96 more and they embroider it and send it to my warehouse and keep going. So I can really adjust to demand or lack thereof instantly, which is fun. Yeah, that's so cool. It, it enables you to try more dumb ideas, you know what I mean, and and not kill yourself if it doesn't work. You're so right. Like I'll, I'll be randomly doing whatever, and I'll be like, you know what, maybe we should try doing this. And then I can go home, log on the website, make some right. changes, throw it up there. Get some feedback from some from people, or maybe send out an email to our subscribers and be like, "Hey, what do you think of this? Is this a dumb idea or a good idea?" And yeah. I get instant feedback, and they're like, "Next day, it's up." <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the thing. You're evolving at such a faster pace. You're going to yeah. be more successful or fail faster. But like, the faster you figure out when something doesn't work, the quicker you can turn it around and make it work. So you're actually speeding up your rate of success. You're you you know the time from getting from like starting to to this is the best way to do what I'm doing and this is what people want. It's awesome. What what exactly what you're saying, man? It's it's great. With without a doubt. So you're based in Burlington. I'm surprised. Like I know you probably get this all the time, but why why Vermont? Why why'd you stick on the East Coast? Dude, I could talk for three days, man. You want to <laughs> come to my Vermont tour? Um, <laughs> it's. I mean, when K two bought line i went out there with my wife for a week and we were like running for our lives to the airport to go home it's just <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it if you grew up there it's all good but you know the traffic and this and that it's just not here you know it's like i like to go outside and have snow in my front yard it's not like that everywhere i like right. you know the ruralness of it but mo- even more importantly the culture the east coast i was born here i've skied a lot of places that are a lot better than here but I'll never give up the quality of life for in the name of the, the a different snow condition or whatever, even as into skiing as I am. It's not because I can just travel the world skiing. I really don't. I go a few times a year for like magazine tests, whatnot. But the culture here is just awesome. I mean, the East Coast is high paced. Um, it's where America was born, man. Change is constant you know whether i think a lot because the seasons you know it's just constantly changing oh get ready for winter get ready for spring get ready it's mud season it's winter it's (laughs) it's rainy you know so you're just if you don't like the weather wait a day and sometimes that sucks i mean in southern cal you've got beautiful 70 degree days every day of the year there's that's epic you know but i just like the the attitude of people that live here everyone gets along there's not a lot of crime it's a place i want to raise my kid because i was raised here and there's a lot of energy man there's a lot of youthful innovation you know and there is in other places and that's the thing it's just like if you grew up in the east it's where you like if you grew up in the you know colorado you like living there it's like that's just uh it's 
inborn you know it's born in me here this the attitude and i love it i know so i know exactly what you mean i'm born and raised northeasterner too and yeah. you know, i spent most of my days skiing in vermont new hampshire and i lived in salt lake for a season and i, I loved it it was great but at the same time yeah. like you're saying like like just something about it like it it I, salt lake city just felt to me like it was it's not an old, authentic city. You know what I'm saying? Like New York or Boston sure. or like anything on the East Coast. Like you said, the U.S. was born in the Northeast. And so it's, it's, it, there's culture. There's just a culture here that you appreciate yeah. if you live here for a while. And I'm sure that's the way I have friends that live in Utah and they feel that way about where they live. You exactly, know, it's exactly. just really. I think a lot of people, they explore the world and then they come back home and they want to have kids or family or just figure out where they were doing the rest of their life. It's the way it sometimes goes. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Well, Jason, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. And uh, it was really valuable, and I appreciate you sharing all of your insights. And I know our listeners are, without a doubt, going to get a ton of value from this. But um, cool. where can they uh, where can they learn more about you and um, J-Skis? JSkis.com. That's the deal. And awesome. uh, com. I think I have too. But anyway, social media is key at Jason Leventhal and at Skis and uh, yeah, just one website, man, jskis.com, jskis.ca in Canada. So thanks a lot for having me. It's been awesome. Without a doubt. And if you want to enter to win a pair of Skis, you can head over to readyeddy.com and check it out. We're between, if you're listening to this between December 6th and December 20th, you can enter to win any pair that's in stock on uh, Skis site. So head on over. And uh, Jason, I want to thank you for taking the time. It was a blast. Word. Thanks. Hey, Ready Eddie podcast listeners. If you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie podcast. I'll catch you next week.